It's uh, January of 1661, and there is a guy uh, by the name of John Bunyan who has just been thrown in jail. Uh, you might think, well, John Bunyan's name's familiar. He was a Puritan pastor, and he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. But he was thrown in, in jail because he had usurped the authority of the Anglican Church and even government officials. And he refused to, to not stop preaching about the gospel and the good news of Jesus, but also gathering with a group uh, of people, of the number of five or more outside of his family, doing the local work of the church. They threw him in jail and uh, really said, hey, listen, we'll let you out, but you have to promise that you'll stop preaching the word of God the way you are, and you have to stop gathering with other people, in which he refused to do. And so he sat in jail for 12 years. Uh, in a lot of his published works, he would say that the 12 years in sitting of jail was like pulling flesh off of his bones because he knew that his family at home sat in need. He had a wife and four children. His oldest, Mary, was blind. And he recounts oftentimes in his writings and in his memoirs that it was a very difficult time because he knew that his absence would put more burden on his family, not only of physical burden, but a financial burden. And there was a great deal of challenge that laid before him. But it was also there in that 12 years in prison that he wrote these words, which says, I never had in all my life so great an inlet into the word of God as to now, which was in prison. The scriptures that I saw nothing in before are made in the place to shine upon me. Jesus Christ was also never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen him and I have felt him indeed. He said, in the midst of my challenges, in the midst of my hardships, in the midst of my calamity, it was there that the word of God became real to me. It was there that it illuminated upon my life. It was there that I sensed God's presence and the word of God fell upon me richly. Even Jesus Christ, I saw him more clearly there than ever. Last week, uh, we talked about what it looks like to abide. Oftentimes, we use that lingo around here, abiding with God. And I think it can bring the question, well, what does it even mean to abide with God? So we gave it a definition. I just want to bring that back to your mind real quickly. Abide simply means to daily live for Christ with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then to delight in God's pleasures and purposes. Now, I want to leave that up for you just a second so you can see. It literally is just saying, Lord, you have all of me. You have all of my heart, soul, strength, mind, like everything I have, Lord, it's yours. And my job, my role is to delight in you, your pleasures, your purposes, your work around me. Lord, help me to see it and help me to become a part of it. It's the very notion that Jesus presented in John chapter 15 when he says this in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on and he says these words as he talks about what it looks like to abide. Uh, last week he said something uh, around, hey, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And he, we talked about this idea of prayer. But in this week, I want you to look at verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. And he says, abide in my love. And so the idea of abide is simply the Greek word, that, which means to remain. It means that don't wander off from this. Just stay right there in my love. But what's interesting is that it seems in some ways like this feeling, like I just need to embrace and stay in the place where his love is. But then you ask the question, well, how in the world does John Bunyan and all of his 
difficulty, how does he stay and remain in a place where it senses there is no love? And it seems like he's absent from the love that he had with his family and, and all of his kiddos. And so how, how do you stay there? And Jesus says, hey, abide in my love. And he says, this is how. You keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments, and I abide in his love. And then Jesus said these things. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so today I want to talk to you what it looks like as we endeavor into this uh, third week of God in your everyday life, what's it look like to devote our lives to Him? Not just our heart and soul, but our strength and our mind. And so today, if I were to title this anyway, it would be devoting my life and abiding with God in my strength and my mind, a resolve to be in God's Word. And the reason that I say that is because it is abiding in His love that allows us to keep His commands. And the question is, where do you find the commands of Jesus? In his word, right? Some of you are like, I'm stumped. I mean, like GQ magazine, Time magazine, you know. No, like you find his commandments in his word. And so he says, abide in my love, and you'll do this by, you keep, by keeping my commandments. So how do you keep his commandments? You have to be with him, abiding in his word to be able to do these things. And so his word is a huge precedent in our life. Abraham Kuyper said this way. He said, the Holy Scripture is like a diamond in the dark. It is like a piece of glass, but as soon as light strikes it, the water begins to sparkle and the scintillation of life greets us. I love this because he goes, it's like a piece of glass. If it's sitting in a room and it's dark, it does nothing for you. That glass doesn't sparkle. It doesn't shine. You can't even see anything in the glass. But he says, as soon as you turn on the light, he says, that's when it comes alive. It's when you dive in and you begin to see what God's word is for uh, our lives, that's when you begin to see the scintillation of life, and it is there to greet us. I love that. And today, we're going to talk about this idea of being in God's Word. Now, here's the in- interesting thing. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, maybe you're new. Hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, it's really important that you know that as we started this series a couple of weeks ago on the 8th, we talked about what it looks like for us to be image bearers of Christ, that we are his image bearers. And because we're image bearers, we reflect his nature in a lot of the things that we do. And though it's incompletely, and we live in a broken world, we still are to be a picture of who he is to the world. Now, if we're going to be a picture of who he is, then we have to know that there's ways that we abide in in him and him in us, and that comes through prayer, which we discussed last week, and the reading of God's word. Now, the reason that those three things are absolutely crucial to the foundation of the framework of God in everyday lives is because if we're going to move to the places of application of how God works in our everyday lives, we have to know, first of all, that we're created in His image for His purposes, and we've got to delight in those purposes, and we do so when we are in prayer and in God's Word. Without those two things, you and I are going to find it impossible to navigate the the, the treacherous points in life. And we're going to find it impossible for us to even create a framework or a basis of enjoying God in our everyday life. And more than that, being a witness for God in our everyday life. And so friends, you have to get this concept and the concept of last, the last two weeks to be able to, to practically apply the things that we're going to teach in the coming weeks. And so this week is going to be a lot of information. I hope that it challenges your mind a bit. And we're going to approach it the same way we did prayer last week. And that is what is the purpose of God's word? And then what's a plan for God's word? So why do I need it? 
And then how do I begin to work through God's word? And that's the purpose of the day. And the reason why we need that is because everything from here on flows out of these things. And so hope that you're with me. Grab a pen, something to write with, uh, because we're going to go at warp speed. Here we go. The purpose of God's word. Number one, God's word helps us grow in spiritual maturity. Like that's why we have God's word. The writer of Hebrews is addressing a variety of things in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. But as he addresses these words in Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14 and following, he just wants to warn people about how you would, would not fall away from, from God. And so he says these words. He says, about this we have much to say, and that is staying faithful to God. He says, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I love that he makes this imagery in our mind and even the audience he was writing to in their mind. He goes, listen, there are many of us who said our ears have become dull of hearing. We are not growing in our relationship to God. And it's found in result of our spiritual immaturity is what he says. And then he, he, he gives this notion, this imagery of what a child ought to be feeding on and what an adult ought to be feeding on. And if you know, uh, and you have a childlike uh, Faith, you know that, that, that you don't know all the richness of God's word. And there's a lot of things that, that you are to grow in. But as you grow in maturity, it means that you grow not only in your knowledge, but you also grow in the very application of your life. Now, beckon it to, to children in your home. There's a lot of us who've had children in our home. Uh, and there's some of us in this room that you still have children in your home. And for me, all of our children at this point in their lives are eating solid foods. We haven't opened a Gerber baby jar in a very long time. And I'm so thankful, although there are some seasons of that that you miss, right? And what's interesting, though, is we recently came off of Thanksgiving, and I bet there wasn't a single person in this room who said, you know what, this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, I delight to have an apple pie. And I'm going to use Gerber baby food as my feeling. Anybody like, that's, that's, that sounds tasty. Anybody? No. Because you go, that's, that's nonsense. That's ridiculous. Now, there's a couple of you like, I'm going to do something like that. And if you do that and it works out, just give me a little cred. That's all I want, okay? Just a shout out. But you go, that doesn't even seem plausible, right? Like, there's no one that today we're itching to walk out of here, watch a little football, and eat some baby food. Because it sounds ridiculous, and it doesn't even sound... T- As a matter of fact, just the thought of broccoli and cheese, Gerber baby jar is like, oh, that's disgusting. Open it up and smell it. And you're like, kids eat this and they enjoy it? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He goes, there's a point where you move from spiritual milk and baby food to something much more mature. And what it says is, he goes, this is an elemental thing. This is, this is elementary. This is rudimentary in our lives, that if we are Christ followers, we grow up from immature to mature. And you see that in the way that we handle God's word. The reason we have God's word is to help us grow from 
spiritual babies to spiritual giants, from saplings to oaks of righteousness. And I don't know how long that you've claimed to walk with Jesus or claimed to know him, meaning that you uh, came to know him salvifically, that you would say that there was this process of justification in our life. Justification is a fancy church word for I came to know God. When you came to know God, that begins a new process in our life. It's a church, a, a very fancy word called sanctification, which simply means to grow. Everybody say grow. grow. So if you want to be impressive, you can go out and say, look, God's really doing a sanctifying work in my life. That just simply means he's growing you. And if he's growing you, then that means that you cannot eat spiritual milk the rest of your life. That you got to move away from milk and Gerber baby food to something that's more appeasing, more tasteful, more feeling, more fruitful in your life. And if that's the case, that's how you grow up into maturity. And that's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He goes, listen, and the reason you do that is because not only do you become more mature, but if you look at verse 14, it helps you to distinguish good from evil. There's a point in which you are preparing yourself in this process of sanctification or growth for your ultimate, final, another big word, glorification. And the glorification is when we are finally at peace with God and we see him face to face and we have finished our race. So the purpose of growing up is because it doesn't make sense for us to claim to know Christ and to crawl all of our lives. Like, wouldn't that be weird if you crawled into work tomorrow? You don't think it's weird? Try it. I would love to know everybody's response. You just spend the whole day crawling everywhere you go. Make it a creative crawl. Drag that leg if you want. I don't know. Like... You'd go, everybody would look at you and go, dude, that is so weird, right? So here's the question. Listen, pay very close attention. Why is it not weird within the church when people have claimed to know Jesus for many years, they continue to crawl and drink spiritual milk? Why is that not weird? That's abnormal. That's what the writer is saying. That's not right. Why? Because he goes, you ought to be teaching now, but you're still the learner. So there's a point in which we grow up spiritually so that we are spiritually mature. Now, you might be here and you might go, golly, dude, like you're slamming me pretty hard right now. Like I, I, I probably I'm still learning and I should be teaching. Okay, let me, let me put it to you a different way so you understand. Gerber baby food is not anything like the savory riches of the food that many of us adults enjoy. Um, I don't know, I'm sure y'all have seen over the last couple of years these charcuterie boards, right? Y'all know what they are? Uh, it's this fancy for uh, meat and cheese tray. So what that is, okay? Uh, used to buy meat and cheese trays and very expensive, and, and now it's like, well, we make them, and we make little flowers out of meat and all that. Well, listen, I was enjoying some time over Christmas with some friends, and they had... A charcuterie board, which, listen, I wasn't interested in all the meats, but I was interested in the cheeses because I'm, like, I'm not that sophisticated. The only cheese I knew in my life was cheddar. Slap it on a hamburger, on some nachos, and that's good. we're good to go. But I was looking at Harvati cheese and Harvati, and, and uh, I was Gouda and all these different cheeses, and then I began to taste them. I had them with apricots, and I had them with figs, and I had them with strawberries, and I'm eating these, and my mouth is just like having these explosions, like, oh my gosh, where has this been all my life? And then I started thinking about my parents, like, why, why have you robbed me all my life? Why have we never had this, right? And uh, so over the last month since then, I've spent like $50 on fancy cheeses and apricots, and it's like... Yeah, I share that to say this. It's like, that's what God's word is. 
It is a delight to us when we enjoy it. It is sweeter than honey and it is better than riches and gold. When you begin to explore the depths of God's beauty in his word, you realize all that you've missed out on. And friends, that would be what I'm imploring you to do. Maybe you feel guilt. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe you feel a little bit like you're in trouble. Listen, that's not what I want to implore you to. What I want you to say is this. If God wants to grow you in spiritual maturity, look at it like this. He wants you to delight in much more goodness and much more savory things than oftentimes what you are. And if the most savory thing you've got from God's word this week is my preaching, oh Lord, help us. Because there's so much more. It's better than this. And friends, I'll just say it. It's, it's better than maybe the little devotional book that you have that kind of gives you a warm feeling because you go, I completed something today. Delight to know God's word. Why? Because it grows you in spiritual maturity. It takes you from an infant to a mature follower of Christ. It takes you from a sapling to an oak of righteousness. It takes the minuscule flavors of, of infancy to the impossible flavors of God's goodness. We need that. It doesn't just help us grow in spiritual maturity, but also God's word teaches us the second thing, and that is to delight in his pleasures and purposes. It teaches us to delight in God's pleasures and purposes. I'm going to put it for you up on the screen so you can write it down as well. God's word teaches us to delight in his pleasures and purposes. It really is coming. There we go. To delight in his pleasures and purposes. Now, when I look at this, what I want you to understand is that when we read God's word, it's about knowing him. It's about savoring him. It's about delighting in him. Oftentimes we look at the word of God and we think, well, it's an instruction manual. And while it does give us instructions, and it certainly is imperative to guiding our life, which we'll talk about in a minute, the purpose of God's word is so that you and I may know him. He, he might have felt distant for a time. He might have felt absent for a time. But what God's word tells us is that God is neither distant nor is he absent. God delights in knowing you and he delights in you knowing him. He is, not, he is not hidden. He is not the, desiring to stay in the dark. He desires to pursue you and you to pursue him. And you can get to know him by enjoying this book. A collection of 66 books written for us so that we would know him. And that's the purpose. It's to know God. It's to delight in him. It's the idea of John chapter 15 verse 11 when Jesus just said, Hey, I've spoken these things to you so that you might have joy. And in me, that's where joy is. It's the idea that we mentioned last week of Psalm 1611, which just reminds us that the Lord makes known to us the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's what God's word does. It just helps us to delight in him, to know him, to enjoy him. Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in all your Bible, but it tells you all about the word of God. Um, and it would take you quite a while to read it, but I want you just to see some of the things that the psalmist says here in Psalm 119 about just delighting in God. Look at verse 14. It says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. It says, I delight in your word more than I do silver and gold. You'll see that theme. Psalm 119, verse 16. It says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 119, 47 through 48, 
For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So he goes, lift up your hands for the commandments of God. Praise God. Delight in his word. Why? Because it commands our lives. It helps us know his character and to live in that character. Psalm 119, verse 56. Your statutes have been my songs of the house of my sojourning. So listen, as we move from place to place, as we sojourn now on earth, our home being in heaven, what do we do? We sing to him. And what do we sing? The delight we have in knowing him and his word. His precepts, his commandments are a counselor to us. They teach us. They grow us. They mold us. They shape us. They move in us. We praise him for that. What an awesome opportunity to delight in him. Psalm 119, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Do you believe that? I don't know. Like, there's a lot of us. Like, I don't know. Give me a lot of gold and silver, and I'll try that one out. <laughs> no, it's better than that. It's better than the riches of the earth. This is something that lasts. Why? Because the word of the God, the word of God, stands forever. You'll never, you'll, you'll never not need it. Here and both. Now in eternity, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Like Harvardi and strawberries. <laughs> like smoked Gouda and apricots. Like smoked cheddar and a fig. Oh, like your word is better than that. That's the key. Do you delight in his word? It's Psalm 119, 172, and 170, or 171, 172. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all of your commandments are right. That's the key. It's about knowing God, delighting in God. And I would just tell you that a lot of us uh, would say that we know about God. But Billy Graham says there's quite a difference than knowing about God and knowing God. And so we want to delight to know God, and we also want to delight to live for God, to have fullness of joy in Him. Why? Because God's Word helps us delight in Him and to know Him. And so that's a big part of it. Then the third thing is God's word guards and guides our life. It guards and guides our life. Really, the idea of God's word helps us to not only know God's character, but to obey his character. And here's what you need to know. The more that you desire to obey God's character, you have to disobey your own character. So the more that you obey God, the more you have to teach yourself to say no to your flesh. Because there are desires that are happening within us that we have to train ourselves to say no to so that we can say yes to the things of God's righteousness. And so that's a big part of knowing God's word as we explore more of who he is and we delight in his purposes and his plans and his provisions for our life. It guards and our guides our life. Now listen, the reason that these last three weeks, the framework of these is so important is because it helps us move to the application piece. And there's going to be an application piece just in the next couple of weeks about how we love our neighbor, like practically, what's it look like? We're going to, I'm going to do a message in a few weeks about how does God's word guide your everyday decisions. So you're like, I'm going to buy or sell a home. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to move from this place to that place. Uh, I'm going to change jobs. Um, I'm going to do this or that. The question is, is, how do you make those decisions? And what part does God's word play in those decisions? Is that ever a part of the framework? And we're going to talk through that practically. In order for you to do that, you've got to be a prayed up people who knows God and his word and his purposes. And then more than that, you've got to be walking with the Holy Spirit and you've got to have a handful of people in, in your life that 
know God's word with you. But that's a very practical piece. I can tell you that my wife Kelly and I have made some decisions in our past without God's word, without true prayer, and without his people. And, and yes, it's easy to say to others, this is where God's leading. But if I was honest in my heart, there are many times that was where Brandon was leading. And we need to know the difference. How do we do that? Knowing God's word because it guards and guides our life. Let me show you a few examples. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Joshua became the leading commander of Israel. He took over for Moses. And this is what he says. He says, The book of this law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on day and night, so that you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, when he, when he, he said this, he was not talking about the whole counsel of God's word that we have today. He was talking about just a handful of things that they knew. But what I want you to realize is what he does say is this. He goes, it is this that will make your way prosperous, and that will, that will lead to good success. What he's saying is, he goes, that's what will make your path straight. You stay according to God's word and to his, his delight in your life, then he goes, you'll be good. You'll find yourself making wise decisions with wise counsel for God's purposes based off of his character and his good for your life. It's the idea that Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. I think you could even say, but for every good decision. The reality is, is God's Word is not here simply for us to go, oh, you know what, i got to do this. It's here to help us know God and also to make decisions based off of God's character. And so this is a way for us to be equipped. It trains us, reproves us, corrects us, teaches us. It is an amazing thing that it is God's word that equips us to be the man of God. So listen, if you're a man in this room and you would say, I delight to be a man of God, what Paul is saying to Timothy is that you cannot be a man of God apart from his word. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to say, I want to be God's man. I want to lead his way. I want to do things the way that he intends without the counsel of his word. It's impossible to do. And so that's very important. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Look at this. He says, he asks the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, I don't know about you. How many of you parents in here that you have young men or women in your house? Go ahead and raise your hand. Join me. Okay. There's some of you that you're not with me. Let me ask the question. How many of you have young men and women in your house? That means 18 and under, right? Really probably 22, 25 and under maybe in this days because people are getting married later and later in life. But listen, here's the question. How can a young man keep his way pure? Which begs the question, how do I help my daughter? How do I help my two boys? How do I help them live godly lives in an age of impurity? How do I help guard their eyes? How do I help guard their minds? How do I do all of that? Well, I love the fact that in Psalm 119, verse 911, there's not only a, a question that in some ways is rhetorical, how can a young man keep his way pure? But then there's the answer. By guarding it according to your word. The reality is if I'm going to raise respectful teenagers, not simply that get out of school and become productive citizens, but are living according to the word of God and are pure, that their eyes and their minds and their hearts are fully devoted to God. Then how does it happen? He says, by your word. Verse 10 goes on and says, it is with my whole heart that I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 11, a verse that is oftentimes memorized. Lord, I'm storing up my heart, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is in context to how a man keeps his way pure. How does a man keep his way pure? By living and guarding his life according to the word of God. How do you take the word of God and move it to our lives? You memorize it. 
It helps you just as Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Matthew 4, to have a response in temptation. It helps you to be prepared. The idea, the essence of it is in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that you would build your life on the solid rock. That when the rains come, the torrents rise, when the wind blows, that your life's not easily knocked over, that you don't easily cave in. Why? Because your foundation is on the solid rock, not on sinking sand. What is the solid rock? It's not our ideals in society. It is the word of God which transforms our life. It is our way. It is our guide. It keeps us pure. It helps us, Psalm 119, verse 37, to keep our eyes from turning to worthless things. Look what it says. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. It helps us to discover, hey, what's meaningful on earth? What will last into eternity? Hey, what's going to fade away like wheat from chaff? And what's going to remain? The word of God helps us see that. Psalm 119, 105, the word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. I don't know about you, but do you feel like right now your life is stumbling in darkness? It doesn't have to. Do you feel like you're a pinball machine bouncing off and around and not sure what, which way's up and which way's down and which way's east or west or north or south? Listen, it doesn't have to be that way because God's word points us true north. And it allows us to make decisions that are wise and that are prudent and that are faithful. And so that's what God's word does. God's word, just so you're reminded, helps us grow into spiritual giants, into maturity. It helps us to delight in God's pleasures and purpose, to know him fully. And it helps us to guard and guide our life. That's the purpose of God's word. The question then is, okay, where do I start? How do I begin? Well, here's the plan for reading God's word. And it really involves four things. Um, I'm going to give them to you, then I'll show them to you individually. The first one will be dedication. Then it's going to be observation, interpretation, and application. Okay? What do I mean by dedication? Dedication is simply the idea of Mark 135, when Jesus sets himself aside a time to pray and devote himself to the things of his Father. It's the idea of dedication that is saying, hey, if you're going to read God's word, it starts with a, a devoted plan. Like, find a plan. Find a place. Find a time. Like carve out in your schedule just you would a lunch appointment. And so it's got to be as important as everything else in your life is. And so I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm scheduling lunch appointments all the time. And so I have lunch appointments with people. And so just as I have appointments for lunch or for dinner or an afternoon meeting or a morning coffee, just as I have appointments there, I've got to schedule time in my calendar for time devoted with God. And so it's your hour of power. Okay, you, you, you got to have it. And so I could say, well, I advise you early in the morning. I think that's the best time. But friends, if that's in the evening because of your schedule, it doesn't matter when the time or the place is as long as you're dedicated to that space. And I get it. There's challenging schedules and you got children in the house. Listen, what I'm saying is dedication allows you to persevere in the midst of those challenges. It's got to be important. So dedication is a really big part of the plan. The second part is observation. When I think about observation, I'm simply thinking about how you observe a text. Just as you and I would observe a situation. If you were a police officer in here, you observe a scene. You're looking for clues. You're paying attention to details. It's the same idea when it applies to the scripture. Observation is the idea of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 which Tim, uh, Timothy is encouraged by Paul, hey, to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed that you rightly handle the word of truth. 
Now, this in context oftentimes might be applied to those who are teaching the Word of God, but the question is, is why don't you just apply that to those who study the Word of God? And if I have... Um, the need to study the Word of God to teach you, why don't you have the need to study the Word of God to teach yourself and to teach your children? See, the reality is your life is as useful as mine. And just as I have children to raise and I have a church to shepherd, friends, you have children to raise and you have a family to shepherd. Your flock might look a little different than my flock, but the reality is we're still called to rightly handle the Word of God, which means we have to observe the question, uh, the questions that are in, in view. And so to rightly handle the word of truth just means that we've, we've got to approach it the correct way. The reason we approach it the correct way is because of the admonition that we have in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Um, Paul writes to the church of Colossae and he says, hey, listen, just as you've received Christ in the Lord, he goes, hey, so walk in him. Be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and abound in thanksgiving. Then in verse 8, he goes on, he says, And see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit or according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So he goes, listen, when you observe the word of God, make sure that you are, you're training yourself in righteousness and you're training yourself appropriately by observing the text so that you are not taken captive by other things. What other things? philosophy. Friends, do we have philosophy happening in our day and time? Yes. If you're not aware of it, it's happening. Do we have empty deceit? Yes. Do we have elemental human traditions occurring? Yes. Are there elemental spirits in the world? Absolutely. Are there things that are not according to Christ? Yes. The question is, how do you know the difference between them? Because in our day and age where philosophy is a great thing, and philosophy has been for centuries, how do you know what's right, what's prudent, and what's wise, opposed to that which is not right, which is not prudent, and is not wise, by handling the Word of God? And friends, I'll just tell you, there are a myriad of things out there that might give you some euphoric spiritual feeling, but are not from God. And I think in the day and age in which we live for, we oftentimes measure our thoughtfulness around God based off of feelings or some expectation that we have in a spiritual realm and in a spiritual way that is not healthy and that is not from God. And so therefore, it manifests itself in a variety of ways and methods that are not wise. For instance, God's Word is, is, not, is not to be handled like a magic eight ball. I would call it the flip approach. It's never wise to say, I'm looking for God to intervene and give me wisdom and for you just to go, I'm just going to grab my Bible and randomly I'm just going to select one of the thousands of pages there and I'm going to hope that God, oh, there it is, right there. I'm, I'm looking at, well, here it is, King Og defeated. Or Balak, summons Balak. I don't know, somehow or another, there it is, Balaam's going to be talked to through a donkey. Hey, I bet God wants to talk to me some supernatural way. And listen, it happens all the time. You'd be surprised in the number of times and throughout my years of ministry, hey, I really believe that I should have made this decision because you wouldn't believe the other day I was reading my Bible randomly. I selected this passage and the answer was right there. God opened the door for me and I went this way. And I would just say, hey, listen, I'm not sure. Matter of fact, I'm not going to say I'm not sure. I am sure that's not what God desires because you're not observing the passage. To, 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 to get to anywhere, you have to observe the, the passage. You have to understand what's happening in the passage. And you have to approach the passage, one, with humility 
and sincerity, but also you have to approach the passage with a willingness to see who God is in the midst of the challenges that you're reading about. It's not about you and I as we come to God's word. It's not even about us making a particular decision and him verbatim saying it to us. It's about knowing God. And it's about applying that to our lives, which we'll talk about in a second. So as you observe God's word, here's what you should do. You should ask some questions. You might want to take a picture of these if you like. Uh, it's going to be probably difficult to write all these down. But the question that you've got to ask yourself, what's even happening in the passage? Like, if I'm reading about Balaam and his donkey, what's happening in the passage? Who's writing it? That's a great question. So you're discovering who, what, where, and when. Who, who's writing this entire book? What time period it's in? What's happening in the culture? Lots of questions that you could ask and just explore. And it's going to take you some time even to discover those things. But that's important because it helps you to observe the whole passage for what it is. Then you go on to the third question, which would simply just be the idea of what words or phrases seem particularly important. Like what common themes do you see within the book? highlight those, make notes of those. But more than that, what is this text? What is it that I'm reading that teaches me about more about God and the gospel? What teaches me about who God is? So what character traits do you see about God in that particular passage? How does that reflect the good news of God in the midst of challenging times? Not in the midst of your challenging times, but the challenging times that are there in the scriptures. What is God doing? Observe all of those things. And so, friends, the pinball approach... Bouncing around from here to here to here to here with no contextual evidence does not help you. It's like the eight ball approach. It's not, that's not good. And so you just got to be careful to, to not get caught up in a lot of things. Like an emotional approach would simply would be, hey, what feels right to me? Or even in some ways the superficial approach, which oftentimes happens. You read a passage of scripture together and then you ask the question, hey, what does that mean to you? That's not a great question. Because at the end of the day, you and I are finite, and we don't have the ability to understand completely without context and real deep discussion and thoughtfulness in the text to observe what it is. So it's not about what works best for me or how it applies to me in the sense of what it is. It's about reading the Word of God to discover more about God. That's the key. And as you discover more about God, then you begin to see His character, and you see how He works in the variety of situations and in our lives. So observe the text. Then interpret the text. As you interpret the text, it just reminds me of Colossians 3.16, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to your heart to God. Now you read that and you're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, look at the very first part of this verse. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that even mean, to dwell in you richly? It means look for ways for that text to settle deep within your soul. It's the idea that you have one question to ask here as you interpret the text, and that is, what does this mean? Pretty simple, but also difficult. So as I observe the who, what, when, and where, as I observe all the things about God, the question that you have to ask yourself is one question, what in the world does this mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And as you think about what does it mean, then it helps you go from there. Uh, hey, I'm a little bit further down, friend. And then the last part is not interpretation, but application, application. And so the application part is the idea of Psalm 119.11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So why do we need God's word? So we don't sin against him. It's the idea of Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14, which David, the king of Israel, he asked the question, hey, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let not let them have dominion over me. 
Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David just asked the question, hey, how do I discern things? How do I discern my sin and my errors? How do I, how do I know when I'm making mistakes or when I've gone to the right, when I should have gone to the left? Hey, how do I know to, to stay clear of presumptuous sins? How, how do I keep those things from having dominion over my life? How do I follow you rather than following my own passions and pleasures in my flesh? He says, Lord, may I be blameless in your sight. May your word be the meditation of my heart. That's the idea. And so how do you do that? You take and you apply God's word. And so how do you apply God's word? It's like the half-brother of Jesus, uh, James said in James chapter 1, he goes, you just make sure that you look intently at the matters in hand. For he says, he says, don't merely be hears the word and so deceive yourself. Be doer of the word. The idea is, is don't merely us listen and do nothing with it. For he says, that's like a man who looks intently in the mirror, then walks away and forgets what he even looked like. So he goes, be careful of that. So what's the point of application? It is to do what God's word encourages us to do. It is to grow in his character as you discover more about who he is. Which, friends, can be difficult to do, especially on our own. But here's a handful of questions you ought to ask yourself when you apply a passage. And so here they are. What sins do I need to repent of or avoid? What truth do I need to believe? So, hey, what am I doing that I, that I need to stop doing? What am I not doing that I need to start doing? Those are great things to think about. Third question would simply be this. What commands do I need to obey? What principles need I change that, that should change the way I think, speak, or act? Hey, how do I implement this change? Who's going to hold me accountable to my next steps? How should these truths impact relationships around me? So how does God's word, how does it change anything around our lives? And more than that, how do I move forward and who's going to help me? Which is a very important aspect to reading God's word. Who are you going to be accountable to? Because most of us in this room, we have great intentions, right? Yesterday, I had great intentions. I was going to get out of our place on some of our acreage and I was going to work. Seemed to be a little bit more overcast than I expected. A little bit cooler than I thought. Felt like a really nice day to stay inside. My intentions were to complete all the things on my list. My application fell short of that. Friends, the point is, is that as we grow in maturity and spiritual devotion in God's word, we've got to move from intentions to real spiritual discipline. But if you're going to make decisions with God in your everyday life, you cannot do it apart from his plans and his purposes, which involve prayer and the reading of God's word. And so I encourage you to make a plan. Maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I can, I can do that. But where do I start? Well, there's a variety of places. And if you go to our website, stonepointchurch.com, there's a resource tab. And there are a ton of books there that you could choose and you could begin to walk along. It has sections and outlines where you can observe a passage. And not only observe a passage, it has a variety of different tools and resources available to you. Maybe you're here and like, okay, do I just randomly pick a book? You can. I probably... There's a variety of places you could start. You could start in the Gospels. That's a great place. If you want something extremely practical, you could start with James. If you want something to hold you accountable, you could start in the book of Esther, where a lot of our church is reading right now. Either way, pick a place and then just remember, be dedicated to it. Observe it. Interpret it and apply it. Why? Because God's word helps grow us in spiritual maturity. 
it helps us to delight in his purposes. And even more than that, it guards and it guides our life, and we need it. And so pick a place and get after it and tell one person or two, this is where I'm starting, and hey, would you ask me about it every few days? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to discover more of who you are and that we would delight in your plans and purposes. Lord, help us to look at the Bible maybe differently than we have, and more than anything, help us to enjoy the rich, savory things about your word. Lord, that it's sweeter than honey, and it's better than a charcuterie board. Lord, I pray that we would know that you have so much for us if we'll look for it. And so, Lord, we ask God for your help. May your spirit lead us, help us to discover what it looks like to grow in you, and to be dedicated to the very things that you call us to. Yes, life is chaotic. And yes, Lord, we, we have challenging schedules. And Lord, I, I think about my own life, how easy it is to push you to the back burner. Lord, would you help us to be dedicated to our walk with you, to give you all of our heart and soul, our mind and our strength. In Jesus' name.